Do you find your heart grieving? Do you find your heart sorrowful? Do you find your heart wounded? Are you finding that your heart is troubled? Are you finding that your heart is becoming sickened? Or are you finding your heart is established? Your heart is set. Your heart is fixed. Your heart is encouraged. Your heart is hopeful. Your heart is full of peace. The way you can determine what's going on with your heart is look at your hope. Hey, it's great to have you with us today. I'm Mike Atkins. It's my prayer that as we open God's Word together, our hearts would also be open to a life-changing truth that Christ in us is truly our hope of glory. His love is absolutely amazing, and He longs to do so many wonderful things through us. I'm thankful for this time together and for the Lord's work in your life. You'll find more information in the show description and at MikeAtkinsMinistry.com. So glad you're here. Let's look together here at the book of Proverbs chapter 13 and looking at verse 12. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Let's look at what that actually means because there's some rich interesting understanding when we look at this. The word here for deferred, it means to draw something out. As a matter of fact, it literally means to draw it out like a bow, like you're pulling a bow back. You know how you pull a bow back and it's long, a long, slow process and you're going back? Well, that's the word that's used here in the Hebrew for deferred. And it came to mean something that's being postponed something that's being delayed over and over again, something that's being prolonged, something that's being dragged along, that's just dragging out forever. It's this picture, just this this slow, long process that is not leading to where you want it to lead to, and it's not producing what you want it to produce. And the word here for sick is an interesting word. It means to be weak, but it also means to be grieved, It means to be sorrowful. It means to be wounded. And it can literally mean to become sick or diseased. And what the scripture is saying to us is that when we have a hope that is being postponed over and over again, it's being delayed, it's being prolonged, it's being drawn out over a long period of time, over time, the longer that that hope is deferred, And the longer time goes along that we don't see that thing fulfilled that we're hoping in, the greater potential is that we'll become weakened, that we become sorrowful, that we become grieved, even wounded. And when it speaks about the heart, it makes the heart sick. I want to talk about that word for a moment, too, because in the Greek, or rather in the Hebrew, it's the word love. It means the inner man the mind, the will, the heart, the understanding. It means our reflections, our memories, our thinking, our inclinations. It speaks of our resolutions, of our determinations, of our emotions, our passions. It's the seat of our courage. So put that thought together here. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, when there's something that I've put my hope in, and there's a long period of drawn-out activity where that hope is not coming to pass, then my inner man, what I reflect on, what I think about, what I meditate about, my inclinations, the seat of my courage, my memories, start to become 
weakened and grieved and sorrowful. And ultimately, it gets to the point where there's a woundedness. Now, this is a key idea, is that hope, when it is deferred, makes our inner being, it wounds us because we get grow weary. Here's the idea or the question then that comes up tonight, and we're talking about how do we establish our hearts? If hope deferred makes my heart sick or weakened or wounded, then how can I establish my heart so that that doesn't happen? Well, one of the most important things is to ask myself the question, what is it that I'm actually hoping in? Where have I established or placed my hope? Because if I place my hope in something that is not a guarantee or something that is not uh, reliable or something that's not trustworthy or something over which I have no control, if I place my hope in something like that, then I'm placing the health, if you will, of my heart. I'm placing the health of my heart at the disposal of something that I can't rely on, can't trust. Well, I see a lot of people, and this is obviously true in the world, but it's equally become true for many in the church who have what I would consider a misplaced hope a hope that has been put into things that are not reliable, that are not trustworthy, over which we have no control, and they've been drawn to place their hope in those things, and in so doing, they have made their heart vulnerable to weakness and sorrow and grief and woundedness because our hearts are misplaced because our hopes are misplaced, because our trust is misplaced. So if we want to get to a place where we can establish our hearts, where our hearts are not sick, but our hearts are healthy and strong and established and fixed and able to handle the circumstances of the world, then we have to look, first of all, at where is our hope supposed to be? Well, to think about that, I want us to look over at the book of Colossians. So let's look at the book of Colossians. And one of the my most favorite verses of scripture, and one I refer to a lot, but I want us to look at Colossians chapter three, and let's look at verse one. It says, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, verse two, this is really critical. Set your mind, or as many uh, translations say, set your affections. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Let me say that again. Set your affections. It says mind here in the New King James Version, but I'll share this word with you in just a moment. On things above, and then notice this, to contrast this, he says, do not set your affections on things on the earth. The word here that's used in the Greek language is the Greek word phroneo. And phroneo speaks about this idea of affections. As a matter of fact, phroneo means to have an understanding. It means to judge, to be of the same mind as. It means to cherish the same values. It means to, to be harmonious, to hold the same opinion. It means to direct 
one's mind, one's heart, to seek for the interests of or to side with. Now, think about that. It tells us that the place where our affections, I would suggest to you, where our hopes are meant to be established or set, to establish, to settle our hope, where? It says, on things above and not on things on the earth. It goes on to say in verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And verse 4, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. But notice this, he, he's counseling us by the, by the Holy Spirit, Paul writing the church in Colossae. He's saying, I don't want you to set your hopes on things that are going to make your heart wounded, grieved, sorrowful, and sick. I want you to set your heart or establish your heart and your hopes on things that are above, things that are eternal and not, again, and not on things on the earth. Don't set your hopes, your affections, your mind. Don't set your will. Don't set your opinions. Don't set your your harmony with things on the earth, but with the things which are above. So why is this? Because if hope deferred makes the heart sick, and my hope is set on something that is unpredictable or that is untrustworthy, unreliable, or over which I have no control, then I'm setting myself up for a sickened or wounded heart. But if I set my affection, establish my affection on things above and not, I think it's so clear He says, I don't want you to set your minds or set your affections on things on the earth, but on things which are above. Then he says, in essence, we're now beginning to move into the realm of having a established heart that is setting our hopes on things that cannot be moved or changed or uh, make our heart sick. Now, So having established that idea, then it brings me to a really important concept. How do we get there? What what is what I would call the business and the intent of heaven versus the business and the intent of earth? He tells us, don't set your hopes on the business and the intents of the earth. Set your hopes on the business and the intentions of heaven. If I'd set my hope on things the business, so to speak, and the intentions of the earth, then right now I would be very devastated. But if I set my affections, my hopes, on things above and not on the things of the earth, oddly enough, as a pastor, caring for the souls of people, trying to get individuals to think eternally and not temporally, because my hope is set on God's kingdom and Him changing hearts, and him making a difference in the world and drawing people into himself, oddly enough, I find that I'm my hope is encouraged. My heart is encouraged by the eternal things that I believe are happening in the midst of the temporal things that are falling apart. Does it make sense to you? I think many of you have testified the same to me. Even some of you that have gone through really hard times have testified to me that in the midst of those, you're finding things that are more valuable than the things that that you've experienced loss in. 
Well, I want to think about this for just a minute and give you a couple of examples of this biblically. So I want to look over at a passage of Scripture here in the book of Matthew real quickly. And I want us to look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and I want you to think about this with me in regards to the circumstances that are going on in the world right now, in our nation, perhaps in your own life. Think about this with me. This is a passage of Scripture, Matthew 21, where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the Passover, the week of the Passover. He's in this period of time where, you know, he's, um, he's being allotted as the coming Messiah. In just a few days, he's going to be castigated as someone that they want to crucify. But right now, he's, he's got the favor of the crowd, if you will, okay? He, so he's coming into Jerusalem, and I want you to notice what happens in verse 9. It says, Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So here's the crowd, and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, it's interesting what this word Hosanna actually means. The word Hosanna in the Hebrew, it, it's basically Yashana. It's Yasha and Na. Yasha means to save, to deliver, to liberate, to give victory in battle. It literally means to become spacious or ample or to preserve something. And Na, the Hebrew word means now. It means we beseech thee. It means we pray. Now, do it now, please. Uh, I beseech your presence. It's the same word in the Hebrew that was used in the Old Testament when, when uh, Moses said, show me now your glory. Okay? Now, here's what means yasha na or hosanna. When you put the two together, it means, Lord, save us now. Save us. Deliver us. Liberate us. Give victory to us. Increase, give ample spaciousness to us, preserve us, and do it now, do it now. That's what they were crying out. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Now, here's a question I want you to ask yourself. Consider this with me. I want you to think for just a minute. What do you think they were really wanting when they were crying, save us, liberate us, deliver us, and do it now? Hosanna. What do you think they were thinking? I'll tell you what I believe and I think is probably undoubtedly provable from Scripture. They were thinking about Rome. They were thinking about the fact that they were an oppressed nation and they were an oppressed nation under a conquering power. And what they were thinking is save us from Rome. Deliver us from Rome. Liberate us from Rome. What they were wanting is for the circumstances of the external world, the pressures that they were feeling on the basis of the rulers of that age, they were wanting that to shift and to change. And here comes the Messiah, who they believe is going to establish an army. He's going to rally Israel to his cause. He's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to then establish his rule in Jerusalem. And then Israel is going to become 
the number one country on earth. That's what they believed was going to happen. And so when they were crying, Hosanna, Yashana, they were saying, save us now, liberate us now, deliver us now, set us free now. But they weren't looking for the kind of salvation that Christ had come to bring. And think about this with me in light of all we're talking about. They had set their hope on a temporary salvation. They had set their hope on something that they believed was going to liberate them and deliver them from a physical and natural world order that was shifting and had become oppressive to them. And this is what they were crying out for salvation for. Well, in just a few days, Jesus was hanging on a cross. Can you imagine how it felt to have that hope? Here's the Messiah, now horribly deferred. How sickened, how weakened, how wounded, how grieving, how sorrowful their hearts must have been. Why? Because they had set their hope on something that was unreliable, untrustworthy, unpredictable, and candidly was never what Christ had come to Jerusalem on that day to do. Now, he had come to be a Savior. He had come to save them now. He had come to be Yashana, Hosanna, in the highest. But what he had come to save them from was not from Rome. What he had come to save them from was from themselves from their sin, from Satan, and from themselves. Because Christ knew that simply changing the external order of things, if he had left men dead in their sins and in their trespasses and under the power of the enemy, that that would not be salvation at all. And you see, Jesus was not here to conduct the business or fulfill the intentions of earth. He was here to conduct the business and fulfill the intentions of, of heaven. And so the people who had set their hopes on him coming and changing the world around them, their hopes were dashed. At the very moment, listen to me. The hopes of the people were dashed at the very moment when the true need of the people was being met. When the deepest need of the people, which was for salvation from not Rome, but from sin, salvation from Satan, salvation from their own self and their flesh, was being accomplished on the cross. At that very moment, the world saw their hopes dashed. When in fact, this was the moment that their hope should have been most fulfilled. I'm telling you, I'm feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit so strongly right now. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying to you. Because the paradox of kingdom thinking is that so many times when the hopes of the world and the hopes of the natural and the hopes of the fleshly and of the temporal 
seem to be most in peril are so many times the moment in which the hopes of the Spirit and the hopes of the kingdom of God and the hopes of the intentions and business of heaven are most likely capable of being fulfilled. For those who have ears to hear, for those who are listening to the Spirit and not just reacting in the flesh. Here was a moment in which Christ had come to do exactly what the people were crying out for him to do. Yashana, Hosanna, save us now, deliver us now, liberate us now. And that's exactly what Jesus was about to do. But not by amassing an army, not by challenging of governmental system. He was about to do it by dying on a cross. You know, it's interesting that on the cross, one of the thieves said to Jesus, he said these words. He said, aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Even the thief on the cross was hoping, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, then save yourself and us. Can I tell you something? Listen to this by the, by the Spirit. The paradox of this is that Jesus could not do both. Yes, he could have saved himself, but if he had, he would not have saved us. Consequently, he could not save us and also save himself. The only way he could save us was to not save himself. When Christ was on the cross, he was fulfilling the cry of the crowd. Hershana, save us now. And yet they were seeing all of their hopes bleeding and dying and ebbing away. And their hearts were becoming sicker and sicker, more grievous, more sorrowful. There are so many examples of this. I don't know how to even explain it. And I, I really want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit right now. But I want to ask you, how's your heart? Do you find your heart grieving? Do you find your heart sorrowful? Do you find your heart wounded? Are you finding that your heart is troubled? Are you finding that your heart is becoming sickened? Or are you finding your heart is established? Your heart is set. Your heart is fixed. Your heart is encouraged. Your heart is hopeful. Your heart is full of peace. Can I tell you the way you can determine what's going on with your heart is look at your hope. If your hope is in a Christ who has come to shake the world and make it the way we want it to be, then order all of the natural circumstances of life in line with what makes us most comfortable, then no doubt all of us, our hopes would be completely destroyed and our hearts deeply sickened. But if our hopes are set on heaven and not on the things on the earth, if we're concerned about the business and the intent of heaven, if we can see God, you're working in the midst of the chaos and the confusion and the struggles and the difficulties. 
our hope is not that this world is going to get in its proper order exactly the way we want it. Our hope is in, what are you doing in this day? What are you accomplishing? Is it just possible that you're answering our prayers for a time of revival, for something to happen that so shakes the foundations of everything that the world is trusted in, that hearts begin to open to something that they would never open to before? Is it possible we've been crying, Yashana, Yashana, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now? And that's exactly, exactly what Jesus might be doing. But it's not the way of the natural. It's not about Rome. It's not about Rome. It's not about Caesar. It's not about Rome. It's not even about the nation of Israel. It's about the hearts of every man and woman and child on earth. This is the salvation Christ has come to bring. You know, it's interesting. We read the verse of scripture that says that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter responds and Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who's in heaven. Then he makes this statement. He says, and I tell you, upon this rock, the rock of this revelation of who I am, I'm going to build my church. And then he makes this statement and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, when you read those words, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes I know I have, and certainly I think many times in church history, there's been times that this has been the perspective, is that what he's saying is, you know, okay, now we we can go out into the world and make all the world act the way we want it to act and do what we want it to do and take control over all the systems and authorities and rulers and all this stuff, and we're going to just be, be in control. But can I tell you that I think to render this idea, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is perhaps a misunderstanding of the verse. Because the gates of hell in the, in the Greek language, it literally means the gate of Hades. And Hades is the grave. It's Sheol. It speaks about the place of the dead. It literally means the realm of the dead. And this is seen throughout scripture. I won't take the time to go to all these scriptures, but in Job, Chapter 38, verse 17, for example, it talks about the gates of death. It talks about the gates of the deep darkness. In Isaiah 38, he talks about the gates of Sheol. It's speaking about literally the grave itself. Well, when the Bible says, upon this rock, the rock of this revelation, that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, that's the, the rock, that revelation upon which I'm going to build my church and the gates of the grave will not prevail against it. It's literally saying that to the church, I'm giving the authority and I'm giving the ability to lead people to eternal life and the very gates of the grave cannot prevail against them. Death has reigned through all of human history over, over every human being. But the Bible now says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? That the gates of Hades, the the gates of Sheol, the gates of the grave cannot prevail against the church. The church can only snatch people, so to speak, out of hell and can deliver people into heaven by the power of the revelation that Christ is the son of the living God. That as we proclaim the gospel, as we win people to Christ, as we draw people to faith, as we focus not on trying to change the gates of this world, 
or, or the systems of this world, but to try and impact the, the, the transformation of human hearts as we focus our attention on winning souls and, and making a difference in the life of people and, and winning them to the love of Christ and the revelation of who Jesus is, we can literally prevail over the gate of death and the realm of the dead and keep them from, from Hades and bring them to heaven. This is the revelation and the authority that God's given us. But if we transfer it into, I'm going to take control of the society around me, we are missing, again, we're focusing our hopes on the things that are on the earth rather than the intentions and the business of heaven. You know, you could lead somebody to Christ tomorrow where you may not be able to impact the systems of this world tomorrow, but you can lead somebody to Jesus tomorrow. You put your hope on changing the systems of this world and reordering everything, getting it all in line the way you think it ought to be, your hope is going to be deferred and deferred and deferred, and your heart's going to get sicker and sicker and sicker. But if you put your hope on taking the revelation of Jesus Christ out into your world and to the people that you influence and being a light and being available to the life of Christ to express his life through you and to see God make a difference and change somebody and win somebody and, and draw somebody to the things of the Spirit, you're going to walk out of that room with your hope, man, soaring and singing. Because why? You've set your hope not on the things on the earth, but you've set your hope on the business and the intent of heaven. When you do that, you can actually see where sometimes the circumstances of this world and this world's orders and its chaos and its confusion is actually furthering the opportunity to reach hurting and lost people with the gospel. If we'd set our mind on the important things. You know, I've said this before, a few weeks ago, I made this comment that Jesus never said in John chapter 10, I have come to give you an abundant life. What Jesus said is, I have come to give you life, the Greek word zoe, which means eternal life. I've come to give you eternal life abundantly. You read it, John 10, 10. He didn't say, I've come to give you an abundant life. I've come to make you rich. I've come to make you make you happy. I've come to make your world perfect. That's not what he said. He said, I've come to give you life, eternal life, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I've come to give you life um, in abundance. That's what he said. Now, let me tell you this. I believe societies can change. I believe governments can be reordered. I believe life can be abundant. Okay? but I don't believe it happens by seeking any of those things. I believe it happens by seeking the things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will get added to you as well. If I want to give you one example of this. You know how many people there are in North America. There are 338 million people, something like that population of North America. You know how many of those claim to be evangelical Christians? About 90 to 100 million. That's about one-third of Americans claim to be evangelical Christians, one out of three, okay? 
claim to be evangelical Christians. What would happen if even a portion, if even half of those 45 million people, instead of trying to change society, instead of trying to focus so much energy and effort on, on getting the circumstances of life all fixed, what if instead 45 million people would, at, would ask the Lord to lead them to one person in one year, lead them to Jesus, and then disciple them into hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and understanding and recognizing the authority of the Word of God. That's all they did for one year, lead one person to Jesus. I wonder if society might change quicker. If the church would do the work and the business and the intention of heaven, focus on the intention of heaven. You know, this last election cycle, $12 billion was spent. That's more than the top 25 evangelical organizations in America. All of their budget combined. And these are big organizations. What am I trying to say? That God doesn't want society to change or he doesn't care about society? No, let me tell you what I, I believe. I believe that he knows that the way you overthrow Rome is not with an army. It's with the gospel. Because within a very short period of time in the book of Acts, the Bible says these who have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. And within a generation or two, Rome had become a Christian empire. Though marginal in the word Christian, but what had persecuted and destroyed now actually, what they had tried to persecute and destroy, which was the Christian faith, it actually adopted as the official religion of Rome. Why? I believe it's because the apostles and the early century church, they weren't trying to deal with Rome. They were trying to deal with hearts, human hearts. And they were going about the business of transforming human lives. So their hope was not set on the, on the rearrangement of the furniture of earth, but their focus was on the revolution of the internal life of the human race. And as they one by one by one, heart by heart by heart, city by city by city, began to do the work of heaven, they began to see a transformation in what happened on earth. I'm, I'm heavy with this revelation and with this word tonight because I just so want to see the church not miss this moment. I want to see the church break out of sick hearts, out of deferred hopes, out of sorrowing, grieving, wounded hearts to become ignited with light and life and hope and peace because they have removed, they have relocated their hope to the place it's supposed to be which is not on things on the earth, not on things on the earth. What could be clearer than that? Set your affections on things above and not on the things on the earth. It says Colossians 3.2. So where does this all go? What's the realm where Jesus reigns? Where is it that he wants our hope to be fixed? And Jesus said it so plainly. He said 
you know, the kingdom of heaven, it's not here. It's not there. You can't see it with observation. I fear we've gotten to the point where we think we can bring the kingdom of God with observation, with external action, rather than changing hearts. But the kingdom of God, Jesus said, it's not over here, it's not over there, and it doesn't come with observation. He says the kingdom of heaven is within you. You know, it's interesting. Look with me at John. It's John chapter 18. John 18, verse 36. I want you to turn there. I want you to read this. Jesus is answering Pilate. And Pilate is saying, your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered and he says this, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, where your fight is, is where your kingdom is. What you battle is where your hope is. If I'm battling constantly, battling regarding things on the earth, then my heart is fixed on kingdoms of the earth. But can I tell you what the Bible tells us about the kingdoms of the earth? All of them, every kingdom that exists, every nation that exists, he says the kingdoms of this earth are going to become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ. And he's going to reign and rule forever. And where is his kingdom? It's not here. It's not there. And it doesn't come with observation. The kingdom of heaven is within you. When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, because if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would be fighting so I didn't get delivered to the Jews. But when Peter pulled out a sword and cut off the ear of the high priest to try and keep them from arresting Jesus, Jesus reached down and picked up the ear and put it back on the guy who was trying to arrest him and healed his ear. And then said to Peter, Peter, don't you know I could call 10,000 angels from heaven right now to destroy the entire earth and set me free? You can put your sword away, brother. <laughs> I don't need you to fight for me because I'm not trying to build a kingdom on this earth. I'm trying to build a kingdom in your heart. And by the way, in this high priest's soldier's heart too. I'm going to leave that there for a minute and let you chew on it for a moment. And I want to bring this to a close. There's so much here, and I just want to ask the question, are you finding that your heart is going higher? When your heart's overwhelmed within you, are you going to the rock that's higher than you are? Are you being captivated by? Are you battling, fighting, engaged in the business and the intentions of earth or in the business and the intentions of heaven. Can I ask you a question? And I don't mean this to be guilt producing. I mean it to be thought provoking. When was the last time you shared Christ with someone? When was the last time you, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, allowed Jesus to minister his kingdom life to someone else through you? When was the last time that you were woke up with your hope established in the and fixed on heaven, not on the things on the earth, 
And instead of your hope deferred, making your heart sick, your heart was established and set. And you found that the joy of the Lord was rising up inside you. And you were looking for an opportunity to be a light in a dark world. Is it possible we need to relocate our hope so that we can move from sickened hearts to established hearts so that, most importantly, we can seize the opportunity that God is placing in the hands of the church to be his peace, his joy, his light, his life, his source, his hope of the expression of his character into the world in these days. Yet I believe in the end, God does want to change the world. I believe he wants to change the world with all of my heart, but it's not by changing Rome. He wants to save us now, deliver us now, liberate us now. But he didn't come to raise an army and attack this systems of this world. What he's come to do is to change every human heart, mine included, yours included. Can we join the activity, the business, the intentions of heaven? What would happen if 90 to 100 million evangelical Christians stopped fighting the battles of this world and started fighting for the salvation that Christ truly came to bring? How might society change then? Let's pray. Holy God, lead us by your Spirit in these remarkable days. Oh, Lord, I pray you would liberate us from the flesh, liberate us from this natural temporal world, liberate us from the things that are on the earth to set our affections on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I cry out to you right now, Yashana, Yashana, Hosanna, save us now but with the only salvation that can actually change this world, the salvation of every human heart by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Build your kingdom in your people and let them become the channels and conduits of your kingdom being built in the hearts of all we can reach I pray in Jesus' name. I hope today's message has been an encouragement to you. If it has been, please share it. That's all I ask. If you want to find out more, get additional resources, or just get in touch, log on to MikeAtkinsMinistry.com or simply click in the link in the show description. I'm Mike Atkins. I'm looking forward to having you with us again next time.